What Does God Expect From Me is a nine-part sermon series on the Ten Commandments. Wait, nine parts, Ten Commandments? Woe unto thee, O Israel! You have sinned a great sin in the sight of God. You are not worthy to receive these Ten Commandments. We will not live by your commandments. We are free. There is no freedom without the law. Did you carve those tablets to become a prince over us? Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come to me. We wanted to find out whether people in our area could name all Ten Commandments. So we sent our lead pastors out into the community to get the answer. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's goods. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife. Is that one? Uh, Thou shalt not kill. That's five. Oh, thou shalt not um, worship other idols. Six. Thou shalt not um, obey your parents. I mean, obey your parents. (laughs) Not don't obey your parents. Obey your parents. don't work on the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Do not steal, observe the Sabbath, honor thy father, thy mother. So that's six I got so far. Doing all right. Uh, do not cheat, no adultery. Yeah. Uh, steal, murder, cheat, that honor the Sabbath, father. Is there something about not worshiping other gods? I don't know. Uh, no other false idols. Yeah, there's nine. There and then know. there's one more. Uh, I don't remember. How about lying? Oh, yeah, do not lie. That's, that's important. Which is weird that I don't remember that because I don't tell lies. And he says sometimes names seem somewhat to be prophetic, and I just want to read a little excerpt from his book. He said, in 1941, there were two men who were executed in the electric chair in the Florida State Penitentiary, and their names were, this is true, Will Byrne and Frizzle. Those are names. Recently, there was a Montreal window washer who died by accident, falling as he was washing windows. I know this is a little morbid, but his name will drop. Yeah, yeah. Others, he says, seem destined for certain occupations. Joe Bunt became a baseball coach. Dan Druff became a barber. Jeff Treadwell became a podiatrist. I love this one. Go forth and catch him. Were two guys on the police force. They were partners. (laughs) <laughs> Wonderfully Trembly, a psychologist, Zoltan Overy, gynecologist, P.P. Peters. P.P. Peters, what do you think he did? Urologist. <laughs> Sometimes a name can really tell us a lot about someone. Hey, you remember when, when God revealed his name to us? It's in the third chapter of Exodus. And Moses was kind of minding his own business. 
and he, as he was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro there in the land of Midian. And out of the corner of his eye, he sees a very unusual, strange sight. It's a bush that's on fire, but yet it's not being consumed by the fire. Moses, being curious, walks over to the bush, and God begins to call out the name of Moses from inside the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses responds, here I am. And then God begins to tell Moses how he has seen the misery of his chosen people, the Israelites, as they're being held in captivity, held in bondage, held as slaves by the people of Egypt. And he said, I'm very concerned about their suffering, and I have come to do something about it, and I want to use you, Moses. I want you to go to the strongest man in the world at the time, the ruler of Egypt, Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him to let my people Go. Moses asks a very practical question. Who should I tell them is sending me? I mean, you didn't want to be Moses going to, the, to Pharaoh saying, the bush sent me, right? And God in response gives us his name. And he says, tell them I am is sending you. You see, we get a little glimpse of the very nature of who God is in that name. A little glimpse of his character. And when God says, I am is my name, he is saying, I am always in the present. There is no past, there is no future for me because I am always eternal. Eternally just, eternally loving, eternally powerful. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's him saying, I am the uncaused cause, I am the creator, I am the provider, I am the protector, I am the judge, I am the one who blesses, I am is my name. And several chapters later in the book of Exodus, God commands you and me through Moses to take his name very, very Seriously. As the video showed, we are continuing our series on the Ten Commandments, and today we're going to look at the third commandment, which has everything to do with the name of God. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7a. Look at it with me. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Your translation may say, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, of all the commandments, I think this one kind of rises towards the top of the list of commandments that is often misunderstood, or at the very least, we can look at it through a one-dimensional lens and only think that this commandment means this. Anytime you are angry, do not yell out the name of God or his son's name. Do not attach the name of God to something that you are damning or cursing, and do not use his name in a casual, light way. And that's absolutely true. We ought not to do that. We should never use his name lightly. We should never use it in a casual way. But if we think that's all that commandment means, I think we miss the big point behind the commandment. In fact, it's actually a little silly if we think that's all it means. I mean, think about it. 
God condenses all of the commandments down to the big ten. And number three in order is this one. Do not misuse his name. I mean, it comes before do not commit adultery, do not kill. And to think that that's all God means with this commandment is that anytime we hit our thumb with the hammer or when the child brings home the bad report card or when our wife closes the garage door in the hood of the car, just saying, <laughs> that all God's saying is, thou shalt not call out my name. Now, obviously, we ought not to use his name in a profane and disrespectful way, but if that's all we think it means, oh, we miss the point. So much more than that. And yet, oftentimes, that's all we think it means. Hey, maybe you grew up in a household where your, where your parents went a little further with this, and they said, listen, listen, I don't even want you saying names that are close to the names of God. I don't want you saying gosh. I don't want you saying gee. Because if you don't say gosh, you won't accidentally say God. And if you don't say G, you won't accidentally say Jesus. And so they would create rules to help us keeping this command. In fact, you know, many of the Jewish leaders in the Jewish communities kind of did the same thing several hundred years after this commandment was given. For example, the scribes, the ones who had the responsibility of copying the Old Testament manuscripts by hand. There were specific rules that they had to comply with to make sure they did not break the third commandment and misuse the Lord's name in vain. For example, anytime they came to the word God or the names of God, they would use a new pen and new ink. I mean, think about it. In the beginning, new pen, new ink. God, and then they would put that one away and go to the other one. And the reason is because they cherished the name so much, and they wanted to make sure that they did not accidentally break the commandment. In fact, by the time Jesus came along, there were certain Jewish communities that were not even allowed to say the names of God out loud. The logic is very simple. The commandment says, do not misuse the name. Logic, we won't say the name will never break the commandment. And they too did maybe something similar to what some of our parents did, is they also said, I don't want you saying names that are close to the names of God, because if you don't say those names, you will not accidentally break the commandment. Now listen, I have nothing against rules if they help us live a godly life. But what was happening was that the people of God were beginning to be obsessed over the rules, so that by the time Jesus came along, they completely lost focus of what the meaning of this commandment was all about. So the question is, what does this mean? Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. What does it mean? Of all the commentaries, of all that I've read, I, I kind of boiled it down to this. Do not associate the name of God with something that God is not associated with. Do not leverage the name of God to do something that God would have nothing to do with. That is misusing his name. Now, let me give you an illustration, okay? Let me, let me give you a little illustration of what I mean by this. Imagine I want to start a coffee shop, and I say to you, I like the name Starbucks. And I was thinking of a green mermaid. I think it would help my sales. I mean, if I did that, I'd find myself in trouble. 
because I don't have the right to that trademarked name. I would be misusing the name. You get the point. But, but let's just assume Mr. Schultz, the founder of Starbucks, says, hey, man, you want to use my name? That's cool. That's cool. Two conditions. Number one, you got to pay me. Number two, and this is important, you've got to comply with some very high standards of service and quality. Because what he would not want is for me to have a storefront with the big banner Starbucks and you come into my coffee shop and you are experiencing horrible service. I mean, it is taking you forever to get to the line, to get up to the counter. I mean, you're in line forever. And finally, when you get to the counter and I give you a cup of coffee and you take a sip of the coffee, you are about to spit it out. Why? Because it's Folgers, not Starbucks. No offense to the Folgers drinkers. But you're like, this is a terrible experience and the coffee is terrible. <laughs> and Mr. Schultz would be saying, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. You're associating my name, Starbucks, with that which I'm not associated with. You're leveraging my name to do something that I have nothing to do with. You're misusing my name. You're misrepresenting me. And he would look at me and say, that's not me. That's you. That is the concept and the point behind this commandment. And let me tell you, by the time Jesus came along, the religious leaders were misusing the name of God all the time. You know, recently I was reading an article by pastor and author Andy Stanley out of Atlanta, Georgia, and it, it dealt specifically with the third commandment. And he raises a very interesting rhetorical question. It's not a question that can be answered, but certainly a question that can be pondered. And he said this, and I paraphrase, but he said this, I wonder, I wonder if God gives this commandment early on in the nation of history, uh, to the nation of, of, of Israel. And early on, even in the list of commandments, because God is about to give all sorts of rules to the Jewish people about how they ought to live their lives. In fact, if you read later in the book of, of Exodus, you will see that Moses gives hundreds, just a ton of rules around how the Jewish people ought to live their lives around family and relationships and finance and business and so forth. And he says, I wonder if God gives this commandment, do not misuse my name. Because he knows the heart of man. And he knows the moment he gives them, gives them rules as to how they ought to live their lives, they're just going to try to find a loophole around them. And because they are a religious community, they will use my name to support the loophole. They will play me against me and misrepresent me. Isn't that an interesting way to look at it? And people have been doing that to the name of God for so many years. So many things have been done in the name of God that literally have nothing to do with the name of God. And I want to give three examples, two out of the Gospels, one from the Middle Ages, to kind of drive this point a bit further home. It was the opening day of the seven-day Passover feast. You can find it in Matthew 21. And it's actually the, the Passover before the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus walks into the temple courts, the outer courts of the temple. And he sees all this commotion going on. There's all this buying and selling of animals in the outer courts of the temple. 
And this is the passage I think many of us are familiar with. It's when Jesus gets really angry and he throws over the tables where the money changing is going on and he takes a whip and he drives out the merchants and he drives out the animals. And one of the big reasons why Jesus is so angry is because they were misusing the name of his father. You see, the, the Jewish people that were traveling from their homelands to Jerusalem for the Passover feast were required to buy the animals in the outer courts of the temple. And the reason they were required is because the temple priest told them, you can't bring your own animals. And so they would have to come to the outer courts of the temple, exchange their currency, and buy the animals that they were using for sacrificial offerings here in the outer courts of the temple. And the reason why the high priests arranged it that way is because they were profiting at the expense of the people. You see, the merchants would make their profit, and then they had to give a kickback to the temple priests. And so the people were paying exorbitantly high rates for these animals. And Jesus was angry. Because the temple priests were leveraging the name of God and the law of God and the system of God for their own benefit. After Jesus drives the merchants out, he looks to the religious leaders and he says this, Matthew 21, 13. It is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And essentially what they were doing is they were violating a clear teaching of God. Commandment 8, do not steal. And they were doing it in the name of God. Because when the people showed up, they thought that was a legitimate thing from God because God's representatives, the high priests, the temple priests, were saying it was okay. And Jesus looked at them and said, that, that's not me. That's you. You're misusing my name. And you misrepresent God. Another example we can find in Mark 7. See, the, the, the Pharisees set up a process by which the Jewish people could pledge some of their assets and some of their resources to the temple courts and to the temple. And so what they would do is when the people pledged their assets and resources, they didn't have to give over the resources at that time, but all they were saying is, listen, when you have a need, when you have a need, all you have to do is call on us and we will give our resources over to the temple and to the temple priest. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but where it got really ugly is that some of the people that were making those pledges had parents that had need. They were ailing. They were older. They had financial needs. And the people, the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, were like, no big deal. You just... Just, just make sure you keep the pledges with us. I mean, picture it. The people are coming to their children. We need help. And the children are like, Mom, Dad, love to help you. But I can't. I've pledged my resources to the temple priests. I've pledged all our assets. 
to the temple and to God. And Jesus was angry because the temple priests supported that. And look what he says to the religious leaders in Mark chapter 7. Moses gave you this law from God, eighth commandment. Honor your father and mother. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you. For I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God, get this, in order to hand down your own traditions. And this is only one example among many others. Jesus is like, man, you are you are violating a clear teaching of my heavenly Father. Commandment 8, honor your father and your mother, and you are doing it in the name of God. You are violating the third commandment. You are misusing the name of God. You are misrepresenting me. God's Jesus is saying, that's not me. That's you. And there's so many examples of that in the Gospels. Let me give you the final example from the Middle Ages. The Christian Crusades. Where the European Christians invaded Jerusalem to free Jerusalem, and in the process they slaughtered thousands and thousands of Arabs. And they did it in the name of Christ. I was flying home last night from Atlanta. And I was on the plane kind of thinking about the message, and I had this little book on the Christian Crusades, and I was kind of reading through that. There was an elderly man next to me who looked at what I was reading, and it started a conversation. And very quickly, I learned that this man is not a man of faith, necessarily, but he was a very learned man, and unfortunately knew a lot about the Christian Crusades. And Long story short, it raised some doubts about the very goodness of God for him. Now, he didn't say this, but, but I kind of wondered if he thought this. If God's people can do those kinds of things, I don't know if I want anything to do with that God. But let me tell you, the Crusades had nothing to do with the will of God. You say, how do you know that? Because Jesus commanded Go out and make disciples in my name. He did not say go out and free Jerusalem. In fact, when Jesus walked the face of this earth, Jerusalem was not free. And yet somewhere along the lines, the European Christians thought they should free Jerusalem in the name of Christ, and they slaughtered thousands in the name of Christ doing it. And Jesus would be, oh, you're associating my name with something I'm not associated with. You're leveraging my name to do something that I have nothing to do with. That's not me. That's you. You know, with so many people at all our campuses, I wonder, I wonder, perhaps there are some here today that would say, I've been hurt. I've been hurt by someone who, in my eyes, represented God and 
maybe God would be looking at them and saying, whoa, whoa, that's, that's not me, that's you. And that's where this gets very, very personal. You know, as Christians, the Bible gives us this incredible title, Ambassador of God. We are his representatives here on earth. It's unbelievable. What an incredible title he gives us. And yet, with that title comes an incredible responsibility because people will look at you, they will look at me, and right or wrong, they will draw conclusions about our God. And if we live in a way that contradicts the very values of our Christian faith, and yet say we believe, we violate the third commandment. Why? Because our representation ties our actions to the name of God because of the awesome title God has given us. And if we make it a habit to live in a way that violates very clear teachings of our Heavenly Father, we will lose our Christian testimony. We will lose our Christian witness. And friends, the kingdom of God loses. Not because God is not to be desired, it's because sometimes his people are not to be desired. You know, I think God gives the third commandment to kind of keep us from hearing statements like Mahatma Gandhi gave many years ago. You're probably familiar with the quote. He said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians seem to be so unlike your Christ. See, when we misuse the name, we, we, we really hurt our Christian witness. But even more than that, listen. When we misuse the name of God, we hurt ourselves. I only gave you half of the commandment. I want to give you the second part of the commandment, and you will see there is a warning tucked in, Exodus 20, verse 7b. Look at it with me. Again, first part, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone, look at the individuality there, anyone guiltless who misuses his name. We will be held accountable is what this is getting at. You say, whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Whatever happened to the love of God, you know? Friends, it is because God is a God of love that he gives this commandment. In fact, every single commandment that God gives comes out of a heart of love. As the Gospels tell us, the commandments are given not to harm us, but to help us. And just think. How many people over the course of history have been hurt by other people who have misused his name? This all flows out of a heart of love, not a heart of condemnation, okay? But nonetheless, there's a warning. And the warning is very individual. Anyone who misuses the name of the Lord, your God, will be guilty. Now, you ask, what does that mean? I don't know exactly what that means. 
but we can look at what happened to the Pharisees. I mean, for them, I mean, they made a habit out of doing this. And God, Jesus, often confronted them for leveraging the name of God for their own benefit. And you know what happened to them? For those that made it a habit to dodge the will of God in the name of God for their own benefit, you know what happened? They missed God. They missed him. I mean, think about it. The Pharisees were the ones who were trained to identify the Messiah when he came on the scene. That is why Jesus, every time he would heal somebody, he would say to them, go and show yourselves to the Pharisees. Because they were the ones who were trained to identify the Messiah. They were the ones who were to rally everyone behind the Messiah. But rather than identifying him, they crucify him. They missed him. Why? Because they made a profession out of dodging the will of God, the name of God, for their own purpose. They constantly misused the name of God. They missed him. So you ask, what does this have to do with us? You know, sometimes we, we, we just kind of forget about the magnificent grace we have sometimes. I know I do. The grace, the love, the forgiveness that we have in Christ. It's unbelievable. But you know what? If we're not careful, sometimes we can abuse it. Look at, look at this verse. 1 John 1, 9. Let's say it together. At all our campuses, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I love that verse. Don't you love it? I mean, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. It is what differentiates Christianity from any other faith. It's the love of Christ. It's the forgiveness. But you know, sometimes you can look at that and you can be like, ooh. Hmm. So man, I, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I can do that thing that I know I have no business doing. Because I can just come over here and say, God, forgive me, forgive me. You know what I mean? Oh, and, it, and then I can go back and just do that thing I know I have no business doing. And then I, and then I come over here, God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And I can come back over here and do that thing I know I have no business doing because I'm just going to come back over here and say, God, forgive me. You know, if, if, if in, in you, in, you know this, it's almost like if we did that, it's like, ooh, I, 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 found, I, found, I found a system around God, you know. And God's like, they found the loophole, you know. Now, if we ever, if we think that way, if we consistently live that way, and you know this, we would be playing God as a fool. We would be playing God against God, and we can think we can have our forgiveness and our sins too. And if we did that, we break the third commandment because we're leveraging his grace and his love and his forgiveness. 
not to do what he wants us to do, but to do what we want to do. See, God gives us forgiveness in Christ not to keep us in sin. You know this. this is, I'm just reminding you all this. He gives us forgiveness not to keep us in sin, but to help us get out of sin. But if we make it a habit to do that thing we know we ought not to do because we can just ask God for forgiveness and we do it over and over and over and over, we're no different than the Pharisees. Because we're using and leveraging his grace and his goodness not to do what his will is. In fact, we're dodging his will, which is to stop doing that. The Bible tells us it's the grace of God that leads to repentance. It's not the grace that keeps us in sin. And I say this to you, I say to me, because sometimes the word of God, right, has a little edge to it. But it's not to hurt us, it's to help us. to help us. And here's the risk. If we, like the Pharisees, dodge the will of God in the name of God and we make it a habit, we will miss God. I think that's what the warning is all about. That's what I think. I think that's what the warning is. And, and, and you know you've missed God when at the end of the day, you feel like your prayers just kind of bounce off the ceiling. Or at the end of the day, you, you, you go to bed with a hole in your heart. You know, it aches. At the end of the day, there is no meaning. There is no purpose. At the end of the day, there is no relationship. And you hurt. 2,000 years ago, the keepers of the law crucified the Messiah who they've waited thousands of years for and you and I, friends, in love, listen, we can go our whole lives talking about God and completely miss him. You know, some of the most sobering passages in the Gospels is when Jesus says... In the judgment, there will be many that will come to me saying, Jesus, Jesus, as if they knew him, as if they had a relationship with him. Jesus, Jesus. And he says to them, I don't know you, go away. You know the passage that's what I'm talking about? He doesn't say that because he doesn't love them. He loves them. He doesn't say that because he did not want to have a relationship with them. He did. He says it because when they were here, they did not want to have a relationship with him. And most likely the reason was because they dodged the will of God in the name of God and they missed the one thing that God wants for all of us, every single one of us that hears my voice. God wants an intimate relationship with you. But friends, listen, listen, listen. Intimacy is dependent upon honesty. 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 No more games. No more trying to play God against God. No more trying to leverage his grace 
and his love and his kindness and his forgiveness to try to dodge his will and do what we want to do. Because we'll never have intimacy with him if we do that, and we'll miss him. You know, a name is so important. You know what a name does? It reflects character. It reflects who you are. It protects your reputation. And so I have this question. When you think of the name of God, when you think about God, when you think of the I am, what comes to mind for you? Now, I know many of us uh, have been in the faith for some time. And perhaps what we think of is we think of those great Bible stories, you know, as to, how, as to when God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. Or maybe we think of how he parted the Red Sea so the Israelites could escape Egyptian bondage. Or maybe we think of how God enabled the, the walls around Jericho to come tumbling down. Maybe we think of how he used that tiny stone of David to kill the giant Goliath. Maybe we think of how he tamed the lion so Daniel could sleep. And maybe we think of Jesus. You know, Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus is the shining forth of the glory of God. And in Christ, we see the abstract become concrete. Maybe we think of some of the stories of how Jesus interacted with the people. <clears throat> How he touched and healed the leopard. And when I see that, I think nothing's too dirty for him. And maybe we, we think of when he paused to speak to the beggar. And I, and I think to myself, oh, he, he's got time for me. Or maybe we think of when he washed the feet of his disciples. And you think there's no, too, there's no job too lowly and menial for him. Maybe we think of when he feeds the multitude. And, I, and I, when I see that, I see that he can meet my needs. Maybe we think of when he gets so angry over injustice and we think what a good God he is. Maybe we think of when he hangs on the cross and he yells out, forgive them for they know not what, the, what they do. And I see how much he loves me. and forgives me. And you know what I realize when I think of God? This is it. I realize how seriously he takes Every single one of us very seriously died for us. And what he is commanding you and me through Moses in this third commandment is don't you dare take me lightly. Don't you dare misrepresent who I am. Don't you dare misrepresent my character, which is all of the stuff we just went over. Don't do that. Because if we do that, we misuse his name. And when we do, friends, listen, listen, listen. When we do, we lose our Christian witness. We lose our Christian testimony. The kingdom of God loses. And in the end, we Completely miss God. And that's the last thing God wants for any of us. Remember, he gives us the commandments not to hurt us, but to help us 
They all come out of a heart of love for all of us. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, you are such a gracious, loving, kind, compassionate God. We thank you, Father, for the truth that is in your word. And Father God, this message, this passage can be somewhat difficult. And my prayer is that no one would hear it in a way that is condemning. But Father, I pray that they would only hear it in a way that is full of love and grace and compassion. For it is your love that leads us to repentance. It is your love that leads us to the cross. And it is Christ who gives us the strength to do what we know we need to do and gives us the power to do it. So Father God, I pray for all that are here today that the words that were spoken would lead each and every one of them closer in some way to you through your son Jesus. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.